What an incredible opportunity to have in our midst this morning Ruby Sales during the 9 a.m. hour with the Micro Project, a healer, truth teller, lover of justice, and radiant human being. If you missed it, be sure to find the archive online later. In short, hers is a remarkable story. In 1965, her life was saved by Episcopal seminarian and modern-day martyr, fellow civil rights activist Jonathan Daniels, who jumped in front of sales to take a bullet for her in Hainville, Alabama. Sales herself later received a doctorate from the Episcopal Divinity School and now serves not only as a public theologian, but I would contend, though she might disagree, a public pastor, ministering and caring for our world by inviting us all to deeper self-examination, truth-telling, and the possibility for redemption. A fundamental question that has become a motif throughout her work is this, simply, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? This classically maternal inquiry places sales squarely in the tradition of the often overlooked midwives in Exodus, Shifra and Puah. You know, even in families where all the kids are named after Bible characters, I've never seen one with enough daughters to resort to naming them Shifra and Puah, which is kind of unfortunate because they are really two totally badass women. As the story goes, there's a new pharaoh in town who didn't know Joseph, which is to say he didn't know the Israelites, their story or their God, and not knowing them, he becomes a bit paranoid. There is strength in numbers, and so as the Israelites multiply, so do Pharaoh's fears. Though the Israelites have shown no signs of unruliness, Pharaoh turns to public fear-mongering and scare tactics as he ponders aloud what might happen in a war if the Israelites side with the opposition. And it is in this environment of fear and paranoia that we see the beginning the Israelites' horrific oppression, enslavement, ultimately infanticide. Pharaoh orders the Hebrew midwives to kill all their baby boys, presumably sparing the daughters only to be trafficked as property of the Egyptian men. At great risk of their own lives, though these morally resilient midwives resist and persist in the task of protecting and preserving fledging, fledgling human life at all costs. When interrogated as to why the Hebrew baby boys seem to keep surviving despite orders to the contrary, the women coyly respond that, oh, the Hebrew women are not like the mannerly and polite Egyptian women. No, the, the Hebrew women give birth so fast and aggressively we can't even get to them. So to invoke Michael Curry, these are some lion and conniving midwives. 
They fear God more than Pharaoh. While Pharaoh plays to the baseless fears in the face of a growing minority population, the midwives are not afraid of him. No, far more than any Pharaoh, Sifra and Hua fear God. Not in the sense of being afraid of God. No, a different, peculiar kind of fear. One that actually generates courage and compassion as they put their whole trust in God, the great I Am, the source of life and being itself. These women know in their bones that to welcome the awesome and mysterious gift of life into this world is among the holiest work there is, the joyful privilege for those called to it. It is also precarious work. Before the pandemic, I had the opportunity to volunteer with a new project here in Atlanta called Pickles and Ice Cream as part of a cross-disciplinary leadership program for young professionals. Named after those nearly universal pregnancy cravings, Pickles and Ice Cream, or P&I for short, was created by Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies of Georgia, an organization focused on maternal and infant health, along with pre- and postnatal education. P&I was designed as an online resource, a website, and an app to distribute educational materials for pregnant mothers, connect them with doctors, and even to connect them with doulas who could walk with them through the process. You see, we have a maternal health crisis here in our state. Did you know that nearly half of our 159 counties have no OBGYN doctor at all? And 40% of all labor and delivery, delivery facilities in the state have closed over the past 20 years. Georgia currently has a comparable maternal death rate to that of some developing nations. This adversely affects all women in our state, rural and urban. It affects black women most. Maternal mortality for black women in Georgia is nearly six times the national average for white women with 96 deaths per 100,000 births. Just one instance of how the effects of systemic inequality and yes, the legacy of slavery itself continues to perpetuate Pharaoh's message that some babies, our context, black and brown babies, somehow expendable. Well, the good news is that a lot of great work is being done to reverse this trend. And as we were hearing from Elise, the executive director of Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies, one of the things that impressed me so much, she, she was saying, you know, we really are a very broad and diverse coalition. We present the data, we name and diagnose the problem, and because so many good people from all different backgrounds and perspectives care about children and mothers, we have both pro-choice people and organizations that work with us, as well as pro-life organizations and people. We have organizations like Planned Parenthood 
and folks on the other side who want to partner with us help mothers and children. He said, we're really all in this together. What an unlikely and uncommon kind of coalition. Today's story in Exodus includes a similarly unlikely coalition of women bound together through their common companions. Sifra and Pua conspire with the daughter of Pharaoh himself. There's dispute among scholars as to whether Sifra and Pua were actually Hebrew midwives or Egyptian midwives to the Hebrews who had come to know the God of Israel. Which would make sense to me because why would Pharaoh put the Hebrews and trust them to begin with? Regardless, these midwives were already on the margins. Midwives were often women thought to be barren and destitute, reliant completely on the charity of others. And yet these women on the margins partnered together with Pharaoh's daughter to practice nothing less than courageous and compassionate civil disobedience in the face of the powers of death and oppression to bring forth life liberation, joining forces across the aisle, or across the Nile, as it were, to raise up the baby Moses who would one day lead the Hebrews to freedom. This is a motif we see again in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew is the most Jewish of the four Gospels, and he works hard in his narrative to frame Jesus as sort of new Moses. Insert Herod for Pharaoh, and again we find a paranoid tyrant on the throne, threatened by rumors of a tiny baby boy born king of the Jews. Replace the lion midwives with lion magi, and after they are warned in a vision to return home by another road, we once again see a powerful ruler outsmarted by the clever ingenuity of dreamers the fringes. In his rage, Herod, like Pharaoh, orders the killing of all the baby boys in Bethlehem, and the holy family flees for refuge. Later, Jesus, like Moses, would climb his own version of Mount Sinai to give his Sermon on the Mount, proclaiming God's dream of a world where blessed are the poor the meek, humble in heart. Still early in their journey with Jesus, today he asked the disciples, Who do you say? Peter, with all his flaws and imperfections, but having seen enough of this Jesus to get a glimpse, gets it right this moment. You, are the Messiah. Messiah. Make no mistake, this is a political term, signifying a military ruler, a conquering king, a liberator, a freedom fighter. Even as Jesus will demonstrate God's mysterious sovereignty through a cross and crown of thorns, it is on this irrefutably political Confession 
that Jesus' church is founded. For to confess Christ as king, fear God more than Pharaoh. To hail God, not Herod. To sing the songs of Zion, not Caesar. Fear God more than any earthly power, real or imagined, human or inanimate. To confess Christ as Messiah, Lord, and King is to fear God more than any name on that ballot this November. It is to claim God, the ultimate power in our lives. Friends, we gather for worship the people of God this Sunday smack between two political conventions. We are faced with the perennial challenge of figuring out just how to be a church that is politically engaged. That is to say, concerned with the well-being of society, its ordering towards God's intention, without being partisan. So the question I want to leave you with is this. How might this confession of God as the ultimate power in our lives free us, free us as the body of Christ from the fear of one another, from the fear of difference, from the fear of difficult conversations, from the fear of any human these challenging days? How might this confession of God as the ultimate power in our lives free us like those faithful women of ages past to seek, build, celebrate unlikely, passionate coalitions we find common ground. We need some Sifras and some Puas. We need some daughters of Pharaoh with courage to cross the Nile and the Isle for the sake of our children and of our world. We need some lion midwives, unafraid to ask the world where it hurts, to tend to the cravings and the discomforts, to meet the pain, greet it with tender compassion. A world rife with difficulty and injustice and tragedy, yes, but also a world that I believe is pregnant with new life, possibility, pregnant with God's presence. See, these lying midwives ultimately confront the real lie, the lie that the forces of evil and darkness which beset the people of God will ever have the last word. They confront the real lie that any human being should ever be enslaved to another human being. So we need some saints who know that the follies of human power and pride are not the only parts of history that repeat themselves. So too does the deliverance of God in arcs, baskets, mangers, and tombs. For in life and death, we are met and held by the God who calms our storms and soothes our souls. The Redeemer, Peter, came to know, follow, love, and love again.
finally give his life. The words of theologian Debbie Thomas, the one Peter claimed as the Messiah, would later become his. What would it mean for Friends, what is exerting undue power pull in your life? What is God inviting you to release, surrender, to let go of? I don't know what you're going through this week. Maybe you face a tough decision between two or more not-so-great choices. Maybe it's a situation in your family, illness or an addiction. Maybe you're contending with the weight, debt, or financial burden. Maybe you've asked where it hurts, what you've seen, felt, broken your heart. Know that God is with us. Spirits of Sifra, Hua, Jonathan, Daniels, all our ancestors, surrounds us. Union of saints. We have another helper. We need fear no one, the one who casts out all our fears. Fills us with courage, passion to face the days ahead together.